we as a church, and me in particular, need to be more devoted in prayer than ever before. We went through a difficult time in the month of June. Um, we got to be in a very serious place to where if July ended up being like June, we would probably have to look at um, cutting staff hours or laying some staff off. And many of you came through in the month of July to help us have a, a pr- pretty good July to not have to do that. But during that time, I was reminded of a pastor who said, often God pinches us in the financial area to get our attention because we aren't listening to another area in our lives. And I began to ask God, God, is there something that we aren't paying attention to? Is, is, is this not a financial issue but something deeper? And as, as if the Lord was saying, yes, because you, are, you and your congregation are not depending on me like you should in prayer. It's not a lack of God's desire. It's a lack of our desire to want what he has to give. And I reflected back on the times in our church life that I've experienced when we've been in a huge challenge. There was a time many years ago uh, when the economy wasn't very good. We had just gone through several staff changes, and the elders had been listening to the Lord about building this building that we're sitting in today. And I wondered, God, is this really at the right time to do this? All these other factors seem to push against it. And yet God said, call your people to pray. And so we had 40 days of prayer. For 40 days, we had charts in the foyer, and people signed up for one-hour blocks from midnight to 1 all the way to 11 to midnight that day. 24 hours, seven days a week, and the congregation signed up, and many of you in this place signed up to pray, not just once, but many times over the course of 40 days. And I believe as a result of those prayers, God honored it, heard, and we are in this place today because of it. There was a time when... When we were in the other building and I was in preparation of a message on Joshua, it was when some people had, had, were getting ready to go into the promised land, but there was some unfinished business. Many of them had not been circumcised, which was really like one of the basic things of a Jewish male, to be circumcised. And a whole generation had grown up without being circumcised. And God, God just opened my eyes. There's a lot of people in this church who've never done one of the most basic things. Get baptized. It's just a simple thing. Surrender to me. And so uh, I issued a call that week because God had put it on my heart. And that day, the, the, the people just kept coming. We had 66 people baptized one Sunday. It was an amazing work of God, and it was in response to prayer. When we were in this building, our building fund was, was coming to a close, our campaign of uh, greater things. And we were in a place where if we don't bring in extra money, we can't stay in this building, can't pay our mortgage. And God put in my heart just to focus our congregation on being faithful in our tithes. Honor God with the first fruits of what he's given us, and every need will be taken care of. And so that was the goal. We're just going to go that direction. And in November and December of that year, God began to turn us around financially that we were able to cover our financial needs on a monthly basis to pay our mortgage here. We actually rehired some positions that we thought we couldn't rehire again, and God was faithful. And I thought, God, if sometimes you let us get in places of crisis, so we cry out in desperate prayer. But here's the truth. Passionate prayers unleash heaven's power. Passionate prayers unleash heaven's power. And sometimes God will allow you to go through a difficult time financially, relationally, with your career, in in your marriage, um, with your health, to get you to cry out in prayer. And, And that issue may not be the most significant issue, but it's where you're pinched. And where you finally get on your knees in a place where you're dependent on God. God God does not lack resources. God does not lack power. But here's what God lacks. Men and women who are willing to trust him in total dependency. The eyes of the Lord, Scripture says, look throughout the earth 
looking for those whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. And so I plan on preach on, to preach on marriage the next few weeks to get ready for a marriage class. And God says, there's some more foundational work and it has to do with prayer. You don't pray enough. Your staff doesn't pray enough. Your elders don't pray enough. Your congregation doesn't pray enough. You guys aren't depending on me. And you'll never go anywhere until you unleash heaven's resources. Because God wants to do even greater things than even we desire for ourselves if we would just call out in prayer. In fact, Scripture says you have not because you ask not. And so before we go further today, I'm going to just give you a warning. Today and the next couple of weeks, I want to challenge you in areas I'm being, I'm being challenged in to stretch us in our concept of prayer, to stretch us in our practices of prayer so that we would be an army of prayer warriors. I grew up learning to pray. I grew up from the time I was very little, saying, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I prayed every day at the dinner table. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. May this food for us be blessed. I was faithful in prayer, but if someone would ask, were your prayers powerful? I'd say, well, no, not really. Were your prayers passionate? No, they weren't real passionate. Okay. Then, then maybe you need to change something. I've kissed my wife sometimes, and she'll grab me and say, hey, do it over. You can kiss better than that. <laughs> Am I the only guy that's ever heard that? <laughs> and I want to ask you this. God hears all our prayers. But are there some prayers that God likes better than others? Is there a way to pray that God says, man, I love it when you pray that way. I mean, I really want to respond to that kind of praying. And if it's true, then let's, let's learn what that is. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I want my prayers to be far more powerful than they currently are. When I read Scripture of what God wants to do in prayer, I say, God, I'm, that's not happening in my life. I want that to happen. And God's saying to me, well, then really study this thing of prayer and be willing to change and pray in ways that connect you better to heaven. And so I'm going to ask you right now, before we go any further, to pray with me, that God would speak today, and that our hearts would be open to learn and, and be changed in this area of prayer. So Father, we come before you right now, asking you to teach us, asking you to stretch us. Lord, would you change what's going on in our hearts when it comes to prayer, help us to break out of the mold of ways that maybe we've learned that, that aren't necessarily bad, but they limit us because we think that's the only way to pray. So Lord, teach us to connect better with heaven so that you would be glorified in greater ways in our lives. And ultimately, Lord, we would actually be more fulfilled and happier because we see you at work on a regular basis. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I want to start right here because I just saw something just happen. Almost every time we pray, most of us default to this prayer. We fold our hands, close our eyes, we bow our head, and we pray silently. You know, though, almost every one of those is, is contrary to the teachings of Scripture. If you read Scripture, there's not a Scripture that says, go fold your hands when you pray. I know when kids are little, we do that so they don't do this while they're praying to their neighbor. But why are adults doing that? Why do we bow our heads when Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven? When he prayed, why do we fold our hands when we're calling the scripture? I want men everywhere to raise up holy hands in prayer. Nowhere scripture says, I want you to fold holy hands in prayer. Why do we do that? Why do we pray quietly in our heads and hearts when scripture promotes us to pray out loud? 
What I'm trying to tell you is we have grown accustomed to a form of prayer that is foreign to Scripture and I think hinders the power of God from working in our lives. Because something happens when we pray in the manner of those who prayed in Scripture. So I'm calling this series for crying out loud. And really, this, today is something we're going to carry into the next couple weeks. But this is the starting point, to learn to pray vocally, to, to practice praying out loud. Many, many scriptures I could share, but Psalm 17.6 says this, I call on you, my God, and you will answer me. My wife is in Indonesia. She's been there 10 days. She'll be there 50 more days. She's got an extended mission trip. It's going to be life-changing for her. The very first mission trip I went on was for 17 days. I was being away from my family for a long time. And the very first weekend of that mission trip was Saturday night. I went to bed. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I hear this noise outside my room. And so I look out the window. I say, what's this commotion? And it looks like the pastor of the church is out in the courtyard. I was staying with the pastor. Our whole team was. And the pastor had, had servants and, and interns living in this house. But I'm looking through the window and, man, his arms are moving, and he's shouting. And I said, man, somebody's trying to break in to their compound. And if you've been in some foreign countries, they don't have barbed wire. They have broken glass in cement around the brick wall. So I'm looking there and saying, man, I don't see this other person. It's probably some kids, but he's, just, he's giving it to them. And there's a fight about ready to break out. I went back to bed. That morning at breakfast, I asked some of the other folks. I said, man, um, do any of you know what happened last night? Pastor was out there, man. He was going at it with somebody. I don't know who it was, but I don't know how it turned out, but does anybody know what that was all about? And one of the interns that lived in that house said, that's the pastor praying for a Sunday morning service. I said, what? He said, yeah, every Sunday morning before church, he gets up early, goes out in the courtyard, and he just he gets prayed up for the service. I said, wow, I have never, ever seen that. I've never done that. I've never been taught to do that. And I wonder if you have. Have you ever been taught to pray vocally? Well, first of all, I just need to back up a little bit and say we miss out on so much because we don't pray. We miss out on so much. You have not because you ask not. I want to share with you two key principles that motivate us to pray. Number one is this, that you can do nothing apart from Jesus. No thing apart from Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Well, you're here, you drive a car, you go to work. I, I can do some things, yes. Nothing eternally significant. You can even win an Olympic gold medal that has zero value in eternity. Michael Phelps learned that. After the 2012 Olympics... He went into a tailspin. He lost his identity, got into drugs, was arrested twice for DUIs. He was all messed up. And he went into a rehab facility, and another professional athlete gave him a book and says, you need to read this. The book was called The Purpose Driven Life, written by a pastor. Now, our small group's going through that book, and a number of you probably are familiar with that book. It's an awesome book. And immediately, the very first sentence of the book says this, it's not about you. God has a purpose for your life, but it's not about you and your purpose. It's about God and his purposes. And as, as Michael Phelps began to read the book, it began to resonate with something deep within him. Something began to excite him, and he began to go down the path of healing. I don't know 
his relationship with Jesus today, but I do know this. God has impacted his life, and his future looks so much more brighter. I'm excited to see where God's going to take him because he's realizing it's not about him. It's about God. You can not do nothing apart from him, but here's the other side of it. You can do anything through Jesus. Because just a couple of verses later, in verse 7 of that same chapter, John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In John chapter 14, Jesus says some just amazing words. Very truly, I tell you, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me, here it is, for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, some of you today are are new to church. Maybe you're not into the Bible. Um, But what Jesus says is so powerful that sometimes you just have to step back and say, okay, what is he saying here? I can do anything through Jesus? Could I fly like Superman? I believe you could if Jesus called you to do that. But here's the truth. Most of the things Jesus calls us to do aren't, aren't profoundly heroic, but they're very significant. Because through the power of Jesus, you can forgive someone who's hurt you significantly. Through the power of Jesus, a marriage that is so broken can be restored. Through Jesus, a person who's so selfish can become incredibly generous. I can do anything through him because I'm asking Jesus to go to the Father. And when Jesus says, I think that's a great idea, I'm going to go to my dad and talk to him about that because he wants to be glorified in the earth. Again, it's not about us. It's about bringing glory to him. And if what you're asking is to bring glory to the Lord, he says, I respond to that. I say yes to that. So he wants us to pray, and he also wants to pray vocally because God has given us a voice. He's given us a voice, so use it. Early in our marriage, Julie and I went to a Christian counselor. His name was Dr. John Walker worked at a place called the Blessing Ranch. And we knew that there was something a little bit off in our marriage. We didn't know what. I thought it was her. She thought it was me. Maybe we'd go to this counselor. He could fix one of us. And so as we talked through things, nothing was coming out as a big issue. And then Julie began to share some of her frustrations in our marriage. And Dr. Walker said to me, what do you do when she shares these things? And I said, I listen. And usually I'm agreeing with her, nodding my head. And he said, You have a voice. Use it. She needs to know what you're thinking. She needs to hear you say whether you agree, disagree, uh, uh, affirm. What She needs to hear your voice. Use it. And I recognize the fact that I wasn't speaking what was in my heart very clearly. I had to change. God gave us a voice. Did you know that most of the words that speak of prayer in the Bible have to do um, with speaking out loud? They do. If you look at most of the words used, especially in the Old Testament, words like cry, call, lift up your voice, have to do with literally calling, crying, lifting up your voice. Not thinking it in your head, but actually doing it. If I asked you to call for help, you'd go, help! You wouldn't think, hmm. I performed a wedding last week, and it would have been real awkward if during that wedding I said, and now, sir, do you take this woman to be your wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor?" Sickness and health till death do us part. (laughs) You want to hear the voice? Yes, absolutely. I do. There's power in the voice. God gave us a voice, so use it. 
Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. We could go further. Chapter 17, verse 6. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. The very next chapter, 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. These words have to do with um, sometimes high-pitched, shrill sounds, loud voices, because they're literally calling and crying out. And somehow when we read those words, we internalize them. We make them quiet. We make them, we make them just in the mind. So in your mind, you're, you're crying out to God. But what if we begin to pray like these words say, actually literally call out to the Lord? What if there was actually a power in lifting up your voice? You know, we, we've often taught people to imitate Jesus' model for prayer, like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But why don't we advocate praying the way Jesus prayed? Do you know how Jesus prayed? This is pretty amazing. This is, this is actually one of the most convicting scriptures I read in preparation for this message. In Hebrews chapter 5, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus um, is, is a priest before the Lord. He's called a high priest, but it says during the days of his life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus. Has there ever been anyone who had a closer relationship with the Father than Jesus? Is there anyone who had... Um, the least obstruction in his relationship with the Lord who didn't have any sin to deal with? Is there anyone who had a clearer understanding of God's will in his life than Jesus? And yet if you would listen in on Jesus' prayers, he's very fervent and passionate in praying to the point that he's weeping in his prayers. And if Jesus needs to pray like that, how much more do you and I need to pray like that? If the Son of God is passionately crying out to God to rescue him, to save him from what's to come, how much more do you and I need to do that? And yet we quietly pray in our minds and pray in our hearts, and God gave us a voice to use. I almost use the word instead of passionate prayers, unleashed heaven's power, desperate prayers. So I think they go together. The times you find yourself praying most desperately or most passionately and probably most vocally are when you're desperate. Right? When you're in your car, in the shower, or you're going through a very terrible time and you're crying out, God, why me? What's going on? I need you now. Where are you? And you cry out because you're at a point of desperation. And if that's what it takes to get us to cry out to God, then I think God says, I'm okay with letting you struggle. I'm okay with letting you suffer if you depend on me. See, Jesus suffered, but he learned to be a son, learned to be obedient through what he suffered. And when you cry out to God, great things happen. Great things happen. I just want to share with you some quick ones. Faith is activated. Faith is activated. In James chapter 5, there's a discussion there of a man named Elijah. It says Elijah was a human being or a man just like us. 
Um, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. I've read that many, many times. Elijah, just like you and I, he's not a superhero, uh, but God answered his prayers. So if God can answer his prayers, he can answer our prayers. But you know, there's one word I've missed oftentimes in that verse. He prayed earnestly. And some of your Bibles actually say he prayed fervently. Maybe the reason our prayers are so weak at times, maybe the reason our prayers aren't heard sometimes is because God says, you aren't that serious about it. You're not fervent in your prayers. You're not passionate. I don't know if you really want it the way you're praying because you're so casual. You're so just like flippant with your request. But, but Elijah was fervent, just like Jesus. And so he's calling us to be fervent in our prayers. Jesus once told a parable that we should always pray and not give up. And, and in this parable, he said there was a widow who was treated unjustly. She went to the judge, and she began to complain to the judge that, that he would give her justice. But the judge says, you're just a widow. Widows don't have any credibility in our culture, so I'm not going to listen to you. But she came back again and again and again. And finally, the judge says, all right. Enough. Because you keep coming back to me, I'll do what you're asking, but please stop. And Jesus said, if an unjust judge is willing to grant the request of someone he doesn't even really care for, how much more is your heavenly Father willing to listen to the cries of his children? And then Jesus ends the parable with this. And when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Now, I thought he was talking about prayer, not faith. Well, could it be that one of the greatest expressions of faith is the person who pleads with God in prayer? Faith gets activated. When you pray and you pray vocally, it does something about your faith. It makes you want to stand on the promises of Scripture. God, I'm putting my feet down right here because you said it in Scripture and I'm holding to it. It activates faith in your life. Here's something else it does. When you cry out in prayer, blessings are multiplied. Blessings are multiplied. There's a prayer in the Old Testament Let's find an old book called 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. And many of you have heard about this man. His name is Jabez. And Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. He says to him, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And guess what God did? God granted his request. Now, it seems... A little selfish. And I know sometimes that many of us feel like, you know, God's already blessed me so much, I, I couldn't ask him to bless me anymore. That seems very selfish. But what if? What if you asked God to bless you so you could be a blessing? What if you said, God, would you expand my, my influence so I could bless more people? God, would you bless my business so I could make more money so I could help more people? God, would, would you expand the land that I have so I can use it for your glory? See, when our family moved to Colorado Springs, I did pray. I said, God, give us a big house. Give us a house where we could actually have parties in and church activities and Bible studies, a house that has some rooms so we could have company come and stay with us, that missionaries who are visiting would have a place that we could offer to them free of charge. And so my wife came across the house. First day it was listed, six-bedroom house. And that became our first house. Now, we've, we've gotten a smaller house now when our daughter moved out, but I wasn't afraid to ask God because I knew that that I wanted to use it for his glory. Don't be afraid to ask God to bless your territory, to bless your health, so you can live longer and you can do more for the Lord. Because when it's all about him, God, God grants those kinds of, of requests. Here's something else he does when we cry out in prayer. We are saved. In Psalm 107, 
there is a great psalm. You ought to read it sometime and read through the whole thing. But in this psalm, it's, it gives us rhythm or rhyme of redemption. It, it talks about God's people and how they strayed and how they drifted and they reached a place. For example, it starts off saying they wandered in desert wastelands. And then it says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. It goes on to say that they, they rebelled against the Lord and they were in chains of darkness Then they cried out to the Lord, and he saved them from their distress. It goes on and on two more times, that that cycle of people getting in trouble, crying out to God, and God saving them, rescuing them. God does that to us. And here's the beautiful thing. He'll do it again and again and again. I mean, that's a cry for God to rescue that we saw in a baptistry. But I can guarantee you there are other times where you will be in a pit. You'll be in a difficult spot, and you say, God, I know I messed up. I know I screwed up. Would you, would you lift me out? And God says, absolutely. I love to hear you cry my name. And it may be five times. It could be 500 times, but God will always respond to the humble prayer of his children. And here's a great promise of Scripture, maybe one of the most beautiful promises. Acts, excuse me, Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 11, it says, here's what the Scripture says. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who does what? Calls on the name of the Lord. And so when people come forward at the end of service and they say, I want to make Jesus my Savior, I always ask them to do this. Would you audibly tell God, That's your desire. Will you call upon the name of the Lord? Because he promises when you do that, he'll save you. Tell him that you're a sinner that that needs grace and forgiveness. Tell him you need him to be the Lord and master of your life. And he'll respond. He'll save you. Then here's something else the Lord does when we cry out in prayer. He gives us victory. Victory is assured. Psalm 56, 9. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help because they know that they, don't, they can't mess with our God. You know that pastor who I thought was yelling at the thief in the courtyard? I found out he really was. He really was. The thief called Satan, whose scripture says comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wanted to make sure that Satan had no ground on that turf that day. They had no place in his mind that day. That he was doing spiritual battle in prayer with the enemy, reminding him that his loyalty was to his God. In the movie The War Room, if you have never seen it, you ought to see it. It's all about praying and praying, uh, uh, praying audibly and praying aggressively. There's a young lady. She's, she's in a difficult marriage, and she's fighting with her husband. And an old prayer warrior says, you need to stop fighting your husband and start fighting for your husband in prayer. So she creates this room and begins to pray. But there's one scene that I really love when she does battle with the thief. I want you to see that right here. I don't know where you are, devil. But I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and 
your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my daughter. And you sure can't have my man. This house is under new management. And that means you are out. my joy but that's changing too my joy doesn't come from my friends it doesn't come from my job it doesn't even come from my husband my joy is found in Jesus and just in case you forgot he has already defeated you so go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone Many of us in this place have never, ever prayed like that. And I wonder if instead of praying, Lord, bless this meal, now I lay me down to sleep, if we were passionate and fervent in our prayers. For many, many years, I've been journaling my prayers. I have, I have several notebooks where I write out my prayers. And I've been convicted this summer to say, you need to write less and pray out loud more. So last Saturday, when I was just getting, starting to get thoughts together for this sermon, I spent a couple hours just crying out for areas in my life and family. It's kind of nice because my wife's out of town right now. The dogs just looked at me kind of funny. I prayed for them too. I was praying for all kinds of things. Prayed for my son. Prayed for his marriage. Prayed for him as a father. Prayed for his job. He's been wanting to change jobs this summer. Things didn't work out. He settled into accepting his old job and going back to work. And I prayed for him. They did have a good attitude in doing that. And then I get a text like two minutes later from my son. He says, shoot out a prayer for me, Dad. My boss just texted me, and I hope it's about a job opportunity. And I said, son, I've already, I already have prayed for you. He said, that's awesome. And then my phone ring, rang about a minute after that. He said, you are talking to the new computer lab technician at Venetucci Elementary. I said, what? He said, yeah. My boss said there was an opening. She knows me, doesn't have to interview me. The job's mine if I want it. I'll have more hours. I'll make a little more money. I said, Tyler, isn't that awesome? And when I got to talking to him, God just began to whisper to me, see, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what I want to do. If you would just call out to me. You know what? So many of us have given up. We've got, we've got children who, who drifted away from the Lord. We've got spouses we're not getting along well with. We're on the verge of divorce in a relationship. We're struggling in areas, and we've just resigned ourselves. That's just the way it's going to be. And God says, come on, fight for it. Fight for the things that God wants for you and pray passionately for him to unleash heaven's power in your life. We have a God, and he's the only God in the whole world that does this, that listens to the cries of his people.